Hello, it's David here, and thank you for listening to The Leader, especially if this is your first time. The Leader brings you news, analysis and commentary every day at 4pm, so subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. What is going on inside those cabinet coronavirus meetings? Maybe it would be better just to level with the public and say, look, I'm sorry, you know, when we said X, we didn't know why. But there's a limit probably politically to how many times you can do that and your enemies will be straight after you every time you do. As an Evening Standard poll shows public support for the strategy plummeting, columnist Anne McElvoy explains the competing aims forcing Boris Johnson to make compromises and leaving everyone else confused. Also... The biggest standout message from these interviews was mental health and the importance that will be placed on it that's come out of this lockdown. Features writer Katie Strick on lessons from lockdown. How have people like Sadiq Khan and Tristram Hunt changed during the pandemic? Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, there's a plan, but what is it aiming for? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. An Evening Standard poll is revealing a record slump in support for the government's coronavirus strategy. Those who say it's been handled well have dropped in a month from 42 to just 32%. The survey by Ipsos Mori also shows the number of people who think it's been handled badly has jumped from 40 to 50%. That's a negative 18 difference, the worst recorded by the pollster. It used to be a positive score of 2 Our editorial column says Boris Johnson has to tell us what the end game is. As our poll shows today, confidence in the government's ability to deal with COVID-19 is falling away fast. It is trying to run a response for the whole of England, and it isn't working. We do not oppose the new restrictions, but alongside them we also need to know what the government's aim is to live with COVID-19, to eradicate it, to hope for a vaccine. We need to know too what will be done to support businesses in our city and get them open as fast as possible. We need to know what assessment is being made of the damage being done to our city's economy. And because our government cannot answer these questions, we need London to lead. 
So what's behind the apparent flip-flops and messaging, the confusing rules about who can go where, with whom, and do what? And Mikel Voy, senior editor of The Economist, has written a column for the Evening Standard looking at what's happening inside the cabinet. And she's with me now. And in your piece, you're writing about hawks and doves and a divide inside government. What is going on at number 10? I think this hawks and dove divide goes back to the beginning of the pandemic. And broadly speaking, if you're a hawk, you're very concerned about the impact on the economy. You're worried about the trade-offs of lockdowns and of very stringent measures that stop people getting out and about and being economically active, particularly in a great city like London, where the centre sort of thrives on that. And if you're a dove, this is an old reference to to war and peace and, and how you go about this kind of conflict, you are most concerned about flattening the curve of the infection and stopping its spread. And you think that almost anything else should be secondary to that. And in effect, government is a trade-off of these two things. And Boris Johnson sits across this divide at the centre of it. But how is he handling that divide? How is he going about dealing with what must be difficult negotiations within his own party? I think partly as a result of having had COVID himself, I think he had a very rude awakening that instinctively he would have sided with the hawks. He would have been on the more economic side of the argument. That's the side represented by Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor in cabinet debates, but particularly in the wake of having had the virus and also the seriousness and seeing the death rate and the rate of infections rising again, he does clearly give considerable bandwidth to the argument of Matt Hancock, his health secretary. So that's why we got the statement that we got on television and in Parliament this week, which seemed to walk that line and are trying to constrain our freedoms, but at the same time not doing that fuller, kind of almost a a lockdown that you're seeing coming back again north of the border in Scotland. I think he finds it very difficult. I think instinctively he's very clearly on, as he would put it, the more freedom-loving side of the argument. But I think he also knows his premiership is very vulnerable if he is seen to fail again at containing the virus. By trying to make these compromises, though, is that What's behind what a lot of people are saying is a confused message that the public don't really understand what they're supposed to be doing at the moment. I think when you try to walk this line, inevitably, you end up with your own trade-offs and some confusions. And you get to that point about why should pubs close at 10 or why 6 and not 7 and can it be outdoors, not indoors, etc. The only thing I would say about that is I don't know any country in Europe where they are tackling the pandemic reasonably well, where there is not an argument saying, oh, well, you don't have to wear a mask at school in Bavaria, but you do in Nordrhein-Westphalia in Germany, for instance. So there are always these kind of ambiguities or differences built in. I think the difficulty was that Boris Johnson clearly, with Rishi Sunak pushing hard to get the economy fired up again, and the stats were not looking too bad, actually, wanted to get us all back to the office. They wanted us out and about and doing that occasional shopping or impulse buying that we tend to do when we're out of our houses. We don't do so much uh, when I'm talking to you here from the back bedroom at home. And that came just at the time when the R rate rose 
dramatically. So they did have to do a screeching reverse ferret and tell everyone to start staying home again. And I think that has come across as being a, a bit inconsistent and that maybe it would be better just to level with the public and say, look, I'm sorry, you know, when we said X, we didn't know why. But there's a limit probably politically to how many times you can do that and your enemies will be straight after you every time you do. Is it not an extraordinary situation, though, Anne, when you have a prime minister who had such a big victory at the last general election, which wasn't all that long ago, he's got this majority of 80 and now people are talking about his vulnerability Yes, an 80 majority is a very healthy majority, but it doesn't feel like an 80 majority if you're watching events closely at, at Westminster as I've been doing in the last few weeks. I'd say well over half of that majority are not necessarily going to vote with him on if they got the chance to vote on COVID restrictions. So when we talk about majority, we sort of forget it's good for some things. It's not always good for others. It's probably quite good for him if he ever needed to have a showdown with Parliament on a trade deal or on something to do with the EU. But it's not necessarily that resilient when it comes to COVID-19. And the Tory party particularly is more of a home of people who prefer the hawky position to the dove position. People who are always on at you to put your masks back on and to you know, take due care and all the rest of it. Some of them can definitely be conservatives. The health secretary is one. But, it, you know, there's often more of a spread to the left of centre and more of the economic freedom fighters on the right. So I think that's the position that's made him feel a bit vulnerable. And you can also criticise some of his dealings with his own party. His diplomacy in Parliament last week was not good. You know, he still looks a bit grudging and a little bit knocked. What does happen next, Anne? We've had his address. He's spoken to Parliament. What's going to happen next? He very much hopes that by just taking that edge off how many people we meet, uh, how long we stay out in the evening, how many beers or wines we have uh, at the pub and we lose our inhibitions and start to sort of pat each other on the back or kiss each other on the cheek, that that brings down the infection rate. I'm thinking here specifically of, of London. Um, I think he hopes that he can get away with that. But I, I do believe that there are contingency plans for a stricter lockdown in the capital as elsewhere. And he hopes it'll be short and sharp. What he doesn't want to do is see Parliament voting on it very much, David, because I think he will try to buy off some good opinion with the backbenchers and with the committee. He's putting some pressure on him at the moment there. But he doesn't really want every single detail of this going through the parliamentary mill because that 80 majority... Big as it looks, it would very quickly splinter if every single lockdown decision were put in front of Tory MPs. And you can read Anne's column in the newspaper or online at standard.co.uk. Next. This nurse and author, Christy Watson, she signed up to join the emergency COVID nursing register as soon as the pandemic began. And the night before she started her first shift, she had to redraft her will. Katie Strick, what have six months of lockdown done to the country? Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Six months after the first lockdown fell, a lot of people have had an awful lot of time to think about what's changed in the UK and in themselves. 
With new restrictions coming, our features writer Katie Strick has spoken to 10 key Londoners and asked them what they've learned during this pandemic. You can read that in the newspaper or on our website, and she's with me now. Katie, who did you speak to? I tried to speak to as big a variety as possible. So we had everyone from Sadiq Khan, Mayor of London, to Tristram Hunt, director of the V&A, to Christy Watson, who's a nurse and author of this lovely new book, The Courage to Care. Um, we had a couple of healthcare members, actually. We spoke to um, Sinead Hanton, who's a matron at the intensive care unit at the Royal Free, and then Adam Kay, who everyone knows as the former doctor who wrote the best-selling um, book, This Is Going to Hurt. And then we even spoke to musicians like Tim Burgess, who people might remember from his listening parties on Twitter over lockdown, um, CEO of Heathrow, John Holland Kay. Um, so lots of leaders in there, lots of people who were looking after others as well as themselves over the last six months of lockdown. So they're all really different people, Katie, but was there any kind of recurring theme or a standout message that maybe came out of all of them? I think, to me, the biggest standout um, message from these interviews was mental health and the importance that will be placed on it that's come out of this lockdown. You know, hearing the Mayor of London talk about how it affected him a lot, um, you know, saying he's such a people person, that's what really makes him thrive. So, you know, he said, none of us are superhuman, whoever you are. And a lot of people echoed that. Tristram Hunt saying that, you know, he's worried he'll go mad if he has to start walking circles of Finsbury Park again, like he did over lockdown. And then this ICU matron, who's obviously an incredibly strong woman, talking about how she's currently in the middle of four weeks off. And it's her first time since lockdown, really, to reflect on that six months and how she's now realising she was emotionally burned out. And it's really important to recognise that and, and slow down and take care of yourself as well. And that's Sinead Hanton from the, from the Royal Free, isn't it? And it's interesting, you know, the, the, the medical people that you've spoken to, just how much this has changed them and, and just thinking about all the things they had to go through and what they've seen in the last six months. Absolutely. One thing that really struck me was um, this nurse and author, Christy Watson. She wrote, it was very powerful, saying how she, she signed up to join the emergency COVID nursing register as soon as the pandemic began. And the night before she started her first shift, she had to redraft her will and get that all in, in line and how she would come back from her shifts and just hug her children even tighter than she ever had before because it was really hitting home the importance of family and relationships at this time so um yeah some very powerful quotes from people um and she also spoke about you know quite politically about how there are currently no nurses on the sage committee and how they need a, a seat at that table having done this having spoken to these people and, and emailed these people do you get the impression that there has been an irrevocable change and maybe that's something the whole country is feeling I think so, definitely. Um, everyone was saying they've learned a lot about themselves, um, whether it's how productive they can be at home, whether it's needing to take more of a work-life balance and take more time for themselves or trust their gut, as um, John Holland Kay, the CEO of Heathrow, was saying. He was saying just when you have no, no compass, you have to rely on your moral compass. And so actually in an unprecedented time like that, that's what he let guide him in these big decisions and I think having spoken to so many leaders the biggest overarching theme was them 
saying they've got better at recognizing what their staff need. And so I think everyone probably in London has found this. You've probably had a bigger insight into your colleagues and bosses lives than ever before whether it's meeting their dogs and families over zoom or speaking to them about how their family members might have been affected by covid um, and i think that's something that will hopefully continue whether we go into a second full lockdown or not just that importance that's being placed on your staff as humans and not just as employees And that's Alida. You can keep up with all the latest developments with the Evening Standards live blog, which you'll find at standard.co.uk. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm.